Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. And this is an episode of Deep Impact Leadership, and I would very much love for you to get to know my dear friend from social media land. (laughs) This is the first time we're meeting in person, right? Yes, and my first time in Tempe. And your first time in Arizona at all, right? Spending any time here other than driving through. Yes. Well, we're glad you're here. This is Rena Friedman Watts. So thrilled to have you. She's a producer of Megawatts Productions and has an incredible podcast herself, which I'm sure we're going to talk about because I was fortunate to be one of her first handful of guests. I think we said it was episode number 33. Yes. And you're now up to episode number 279. In what amount of time? I think I launched in 2020. How yes, so I know we've done that kind of volume, but how does how do you do that kind of volume? I hired an editor. Yes. Yeah, in the beginning we all did we were doing those things ourselves, weren't we? Yes. And there is no way that I could output that amount and take clients and take care of four children right. if I didn't hire help. And move <laughs> in the middle of all that. Yes. So we have a lot to get to know each other better. And again, it's just been fun. I was saying to our producer earlier, I know that we have been connected on social media for years and we've become buddies and and friends and and intimate pals as we've talked through life situations, both on air and in our own little corners of the world. We've also had a couple phone call conversations. Do you remember how we met though? Was it through LinkedIn? You do remember. Was it LinkedIn? It was Greg Johnson. Oh, of course it was Greg. Yes. Yes. And... I was helping him with next level people. Yes. I was, at first, I started like helping him find guests. And then he was like, it would be really cool to actually have your perspective. So I ended up co hosting a few of those shows. And that really got me excited about podcasting again. I love that. And he has had some life changes as well as a father and a husband and career wise. And he's just one of those extremely inspirational people. Now, as soon as you said that, I thought, of course, that makes sense. Yes. You know what's crazy about him? We have the same birthday. We got married like a day apart. We had the same number of kids. What? In almost the same order. Interesting. Yes. And once we figured that out, we were like, okay, that's (laughs) a soul connection of some sort. Yeah. I don't know if you saw, I jumped out of an airplane recently. I went tandem skydiving. And about three weeks later, I'm doing a podcast with a live audience. And the girl that I jumped out of the plane with, I hadn't met her until that morning. She was in the audience. And I had mentioned my birthday was coming up in December. And she goes, what day? December 18th. She's like, that's my birthday too. She's like 40 years younger than me, but it was super cool. That's wild. I know somebody else that just did that, I think, after she got divorced and turned 30. And she actually told me that when you jump out of the plane, it doesn't actually feel like you're falling, that there's so much air coming at you Mm -hmm. that it feels like you're floating. Is that true? Yes, for the 30 seconds that you're free falling. And then when the chute goes up, you know, you just get jerked up. And uh, I went with a high school buddy. He does it professionally. He's done it for years. He was military. And I wouldn't have jumped with anybody else. Shout out to Tom Talbot for taking me and seven other of my closest buddies. It was fantastic. I expected to be nervous out of my mind because I'm afraid of heights. And I had done enough meditation and, and seeing myself do it that when we got in that plane, 
was not nervous. Uh, she went first. I just knew better than to watch her go out. So I just kept looking at the back of the plane. And then they said, door's opening. Door went up. I felt the wind. Off, I see the shadow go. And then Tom said, okay, scooch over. You know, we had talked about and rehearsed what we were going to do. And within 20 seconds, we were out at, maybe 40 seconds, we were out after them. And I, every minute, I, I loved it. Yeah. I would love to know what thoughts <laughs> crossed your mind during that. I think my <laughs> lips read a couple swear words, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, a, a couple of times my mouth, because he did a video the whole time. So you can see basically what my thoughts were. And and I think the other piece for me was thinking, why am I not nervous? And, and not wanting to go too much down that rabbit hole <laughs> because... I wouldn't want to become nervous. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Karen. We're here to talk about Rena. So I want to switch gears because I really am excited about your podcast and, and how many cool people you've interviewed. And then what are you doing with Megawatts Productions? Can you give us the backstory? Like once upon a time, I was a little girl. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and because you've had a really cool career, a really neat opportunity to do a lot of different things. And then I'm sure it all kind of comes down to, hey, here's here's how I've landed here with your dad of all people. So the floor is yours. I'm going to sit back, drink my coffee, and, and be listening. Yeah. Once upon a time, I was a little girl <laughs> in Kentucky. Okay. A Jew in Kentucky. My mom had me super young. I knew my parents, my grandparents, many of my great-grandparents. And from the time I was a little girl, I used to put on little performances for my family. Like, <laughs> yeah. I would line them up on the couch, and I would come down the stairs with my boombox, and I would <laughs> sing over it, and I would lip sync, and I was just a little performer. And they would clap for me and take their hat off to me, and I felt like I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. This kind of put a little bit of a false sense of confidence <laughs> in me, I will say, because in high school— I auditioned for a youth performing arts school, and I just walked in there, and I sang something off the radio, and then I didn't get in. <laughs> like, what? I was like, oh, my they God. don't know who I am. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I totally am, you know, going here. Like, I, you know, I didn't have any other backup plans. This was actually the first situation where I learned you could turn a no into a yes, which is a very important thing in the industry. And so my dad went to the head of the music department, and he said, you know, what does my daughter have to do to get in? <laughs> and he was like, she might start like an outside horse and start from behind, but she finishes in the front. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And he he totally bought the, the speech. And my dad got me music lessons, and I learned how to read music. And I had a singing teacher, like, all summer long. I learned how to sing in a foreign language. I learned an oh art song. Gosh. I swallowed my pride. I went back in there. I re-auditioned, and I got in. The thing is, is that I never felt accepted since I got rejected that first time. But I was like, God, my dad went to bat for me. Like, I can't, you know, just quit now. And so... Something, like, changed in me from that experience. Like, I really never sang out for four years, but I didn't quit. I had that same teacher who rejected me. And then by my senior year, it's crazy. I was surrounded by Nicole Scherzinger, who, you know, was the lead singer of the Pussycat yes, Dolls. Yes. And she's super famous now and worth, I think, like, $300 million. I went to school with her. I went to school with Sarah Gettelfinger, who ended up on Sarah. Broadway. Um, I was just surrounded by these 
unbelievably talented kids. I mean, they ended up in Juilliard and the Boston Conservatory. But the thing is, is when you surround yourself by really incredible, talented people, some of that wears off on you. And so my senior year, Nicole Scherzinger herself took me into the music closet and she was like, I've watched you. You've got this. Today is the day. She was like, sing out. All the colleges are here. You've got this. I'm going to sit in the front row. I'm going to bob my head. She totally affirmed me. I, I One of these days, I'm going to track her down and thank her. And I did it. I like literally sang to her. I didn't look at anybody else in the audience. And I got two offers to two small art schools, wow. full rides. I, I, I took the offer that wanted me more. Because after like not feeling like I was accepted for four years, yeah. I was like, whoever Who wants, wants me, me more, it's like, I want to be wanted. Right. You know, so I ended up at the University of Charleston for two years. And I was super close with the guy who recruited me. But the thing is, is that school that I went to in high school was super competitive and really hard. And I worked so hard to stay there. I kept the same singing teacher for four years. I plucked out every note, every song to even sing and feel like I could be a part of that group. Yeah. I partied at the University of Charleston. I was pretty much showing up drunk to class and I got a 4-0. I was like, okay, I need more of a challenge. <laughs> so I ended up transferring to Purdue, which was much more of a challenge. I walked into the radio station on campus and I ended up getting a job at the NPR station on campus. I found a love there. For radio, for stories, what, what all was of it? That. Yeah. All of that. Um, I got to pick stories off the newswire and kind of edit them and make them my own. And, you know, I would make air check tapes at night and I would sing back to the like little girl Rena in Kentucky. I would play Destiny's Child and I'd, you know, crank it down low and then sing over it. And I'd make all these like mixtapes. And so I made a mixtape. I got an interview at WGN, drove up to Chicago, knew no one, and then got rejected again. (laughs) I didn't get the job. But while I was in Chicago, I saw that Jerry Springer was looking for interns on that same trip, literally in the same courtyard. So I interviewed at the Tribune Tower And Jerry Springer was at NBC right across the courtyard. I walked across the courtyard, like, pre-9-11, got through security, told told them I had an interview with the intern coordinator. Which you didn't at this point. (laughs) They loved that. This is just flying by the seat of your pants. Yes, but, you know, like, hindsight is—I really think that had I not experienced that rejection, maybe I wouldn't have had my eyes wide open right? It was like, oh, yeah. well, that didn't work out. Let me try to see, you know, while I'm up well, here. Of course, if, he, if they had said yes. Exactly. Like, oh. Exactly. And so, yeah, I ended up starting there two weeks later and it was in entertainment. It was in a big city. Jerry Springer. I watched the show. My dad watched the show. He was cool with it. I had also interviewed at, um, it was like a production assistant role for I don't know, some stock exchange show in New York. And I was like, Jerry Springer, stock exchange. Oh, I'm totally doing Springer. <laughs> right. Yeah, like I grew up in Kentucky. Those stories didn't seem that far-fetched. Right. My dad worked in a factory. I was like, oh, I understand those people. You yeah, know? It all made sense. Yeah, it all made sense. How long were you there? I was there for two and a half years. Yeah. And it was honestly such a training ground for everything that I ended up doing. I moved to Chicago. I was crashing on somebody's couch that I, like, met off a Craigslist. I was working 80 to 100 hours a week. I was like, I want that job. 
and I'm going to prove myself to get it. So I started taking the guests out and entertaining them and like figuring out who made a good guest, who were the stories that they were bringing, who were the producers on the phone that were like getting the best guests to come, what were they saying? And I was a sponge. I was like, I can do that. I can do that. And then they started putting me on the phone and then I started booking the guests. And then at the end of my first season, like I got to produce a show. So I went from intern to producer in one season and yeah. Incredible. Yeah. It was amazing. And so from there, (laughs) where does the husband come in? Oh my gosh, so much. At some point you open your own production company or media company. Yeah. So from Chicago, there wasn't a lot of other production jobs. So I moved to LA and I pretty much started all over when I went to LA because I did not know anyone. And just because I got into the Producers Guild did not, you know, it it didn't really open that many opportunities, you know? (laughs) Everybody's a producer in LA. So I moved to LA. I worked on a pilot. I was like a production coordinator. And then from that pilot, they offered me an executive assistant role to three very seasoned producers, the Kyoto Brothers, which is amazing because these guys had a family-run business. It was three brothers. One was a director. One was a producer. One was an animator. These guys did Killer Clowns from Outer Space, oh, which, wow. by the way, has made a comeback. Okay. If you didn't notice this I, past Halloween, they're everywhere. It's a cult, cult film. Yeah. Totally right? a yeah. cult film. Yeah. And so I worked for them, and I was answering their phones, and I was doing their accounts payable and receivable, and they ended up doing Team America while I was there, and like a Disney interstitial. And I'm seeing really like the business side of the film industry, which I knew nothing about. And so that was amazing. And they like saw that I moved to LA with a dream and I feel like they appreciated that. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of applying to jobs on the side and hoping to get back into production. And I got one at VH1 where I went on the road for six weeks and did this show called Motor Mouth. I don't know if you ever saw that. I know VH1, of course, but I, I... I kind of think I know Motor Mouth. Yeah. It was like an early car karaoke show where, you know, you yeah. set up your friend to go around and drive an SUV, and then you get in the car with the friend, and you, like, egg them on to, like, dance at the drive through or, like, okay. do a challenge. Okay. And so I was one of the field interviewers where I'd interview the friend beforehand. I'm like, how do you think they're going to be in the car? Do you think they're going to sing on their own? Do you think you're going to have to, like, really— pump them up? Do you think they're going to notice the cameras? And then afterwards, how'd it go? Like, was that what you expected? And I learned so much about, like, you know, how to put the story together. Mm -hmm. That was a lot of fun. And probably on some some days that there isn't really much of a story. (laughs) I learned that at Nanny 911. (laughs) Okay. Because they, at that time, like, really overshot everything. At the beginning of reality TV, actually, when I was in L.A., they would shoot 24 hours a day, like seven days a week. And then just pick what they could use. Well, people eventually stop noticing that the cameras are there. And so then there's some magic that happens and they're able to find the story. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you don't know what the story honestly is going to be. And then sometimes you have to create the story. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the LA chapter was super fun. I worked on, my, the last show that I worked on was three seasons of Nanny 911. And then I met my husband. He was a grad student at Berkeley. We were complete opposites, by the way. Were? And you Still are. are. Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> Which is kind of cool because I feel like he really fills in my gaps. Yeah. He's like a hyper-intellectual, could care less about Hollywood, 
when we met, he didn't even know who Angelina Jolie was. I'm like, I can appreciate that about you. <laughs> I don't understand it, but I can appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So great. So you you meet in what year? We met in 2006. Mm-hmm. It was my third season on Nanny 911. I think we went on like 10 dates and then he proposed we got married like I think four months later. So oh, wow. it was pretty quick yeah. and we honestly did not know each other at all. <laughs> we lived in different cities yeah. and then got married and I figured left Hollywood, <laughs> figured it out, and it is such a blur. You, uh, you uh, ended up in Northern California with him? Yes. Okay. So he finished his degree. I actually tried to take a job at a nonprofit. That didn't work well. <laughs> and then I had a baby like Six months later. Wow. Let's get married. Let's have a baby. Do you know each other now, all these years later? Sometimes I still am like, right? Like 15 years in, I'm kind of like, do you know me yeah. at all? Remind me his name. I'm Will. Will. I should know this. I've seen pictures. Yeah. Yeah. He's Aww. a good guy. Yes, uh, obviously. He's a good guy. Anybody who's with you has got to be good people. Aww, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And so... Gosh, we've moved around a lot. Yeah. His first job was in Silicon Valley. And this is really crazy. One night, he was just like, you know, he was trying to like move within the corporate structure and he really wanted to be in a different department. And he was looking at other big corporate behemoths of where he might be able to pivot. And he found a job in my hometown, like GE in Louisville. And he was like, that'd be crazy. And he applied at midnight, like midnight one night. And then he got the job and they offered him more than he was making in California. So I'm like, we're totally moving back to Kentucky. And what was really beautiful about that chapter is that my grandparents were all still alive. And so I had another kid there (laughs) and we had some special years with my parents. But then it really kind of like brought up childhood stuff for me. Like I was saying, I grew up a Jew in Kentucky and I wasn't always proud of that or I didn't really like that. I was like, oh, I'm just not a pioneer in doing this. Yeah. You know, I was like, I've enjoyed these special meals with my parents. But after living in LA and San Francisco, we wanted to live in a big city. We wanted our kids to be educated. (laughs) And so we moved to Chicago. He transferred from GE Louisville to GE Chicago. Yeah, while the kids were in preschool, I started inching my way back into work. And I had kept in touch with a lot of my Hollywood connections. So... Yeah, I had three kids in four years, knocked that out. And then while they were in preschool, I started doing research for Court TV. And then I started doing casting for America's Got Talent and Divorce Court. And I just, I had this producer friend that could use those skills. And so I started that in Kentucky and I did like court research in Kentucky and Indiana. And then in Chicago, there were six courthouses there. And so I learned the ins and outs of that. And let me tell you, the one thing I take from doing that was make people your best friend. And I learned that from Springer too. Like you are going to get the best stories if people want to meet you. Yeah. Right? My very best story at the Jerry Springer show, and people always ask me, this is the story I think that got me promoted, was a 14-year-old girl called, she didn't even leave her name. This is when they used to call 1-800-96-JERRY and leave a message. She said, I caught my grandmother in bed with my boyfriend. And I think my mom's sleeping with him too. Four, let's, let's back the train up. <laughs> a 14-year-old girl yes. makes this call. Yes. Grandma's sleeping with her boyfriend. Yes. She's 59. Pop- Mom's like 42. Yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> so no last name, no first name probably either, but do you find her? 
And I made her my best friend. (laughs) Yes. Because you always have to make the one that calls in your best friend Uh because they have to rope all the other people in. Yeah. So this ended up being a segment, an episode. This went the whole show. Wow. And Jerry just ended. Like he was on the air for like 20 something years. And I never thought it was going to last that long. After three years, I was like, well, I think the shit might be going down. I'm going to like move on from there. Got my fill. And then my old intern ended up being like the executive producer. She stayed on the show for 20 years. So they just did like a best of like 25 was years that or one something. Of them? It was. I was like, oh my God, that's my claim to fame right yeah. there. <laughs> wow. That this is crazy. the most unique interview that we've had here at Phoenix <laughs> Business Radio, don't you think, Daryl? By far. Grandma is, stole my man. This is, this is fa- just Rena. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that was amazing. Okay, so from. So now you're in Chicago, three kids. Chicago, and, and doing kids, some court doing TV some court stuff, TV. casting for it, you're saying? Casting. And then, you know, TV had really changed by then, too. Like, we are, what year? Oh, my gosh. Ish. Now we're starting, like, social media yeah. and casting online. And if you have a YouTube following. Entertainment changed. Entertainment changed. Yeah. Yes. If and, you and can grow a community. Yeah, right? You can have a show. Okay. I mean, look at all these reality stars that are getting shows from yeah. being on 16 and Pregnant, Teen Mom. Yeah. Yeah. And it's evolved even more so now, right? Because TikTok. somebody can literally just say, I'm landing on this dime. This is my thing. And w- one lady I know does um, hula hoops or not. Or, yeah. But amazing. I don't know what. Rings and just dances with rings. Another one. I mean, it's just amazing how niched it can get. And, and where the followers and the, the attention comes from it's, with it's, incredible endorsements and sponsorships. Yes. And you and I talked about sponsorships too. So yeah. that's another thing. A girl that, you know, I had known from my single days in LA when I was casting for America's Got Talent, she was starting to blow up, Kathy Heller. Okay. And so I pitched her. I pitched a cousin of mine who was just a raw talent at like 14. I ended up actually getting her through the first round of casting where she got to skip the whole cattle call. Interesting. Yes, and she shot a video in her kitchen with her uncle playing backup and used a mic, and she's she beautiful, to- yeah, beautiful and talent. raw talent. But at the time, she didn't have kind of the stage presence that they were looking for, but she created a YouTube channel. She's got close to 40,000 connections. Sarah Herzog, shout out. She's got close to 40,000 connections now on Instagram. She's got producers after her. It's just amazing. You can be on one of these shows and boom, you really can take off from there. Interesting. Yeah. So that was really eye-opening, like seeing the difference in how people are casted from when it was call-in and, you know, when I was working in radio and I was manually running things and it was transitioning into automation and now how you can just be discovered on YouTube or TikTok. And then... You know, as my kids started getting a little bit older, I tried corporate America for a bit. And what I loved about my opportunities there was I took a job at a telecom company and I took a job in the finance industry. And I started falling in love with LinkedIn because I was like, wow, you can create like little lunch and learns in all different verticals. You can literally find out which companies are Chicago-based, who's the chief, you know, customer experience offer officer or chief financial officer. You can type in positions of people who you want to come to your events. You can make them your best friend. You can tell them about the speaker, tell them about the venue, tell them it's free, and they'll come. 
I'm like, this is cool. And it worked in telecom and it worked in the finance industry. And then I was like, hey, what if I just start like documenting the behind the scenes of me putting together these events? Then other people might want to like co-sponsor them with me. And maybe I can not only do them in Chicago, but I can do them in other parts of the US. And literally that started happening. And so in the finance industry, I had CPAs reaching out to me, financial advisors reaching out to me. I did an event in Orange County. I did one in Atlanta. Incredible. I did multiple events in And you're Chicago. freelancing at this point. This is your, your business. This is your gig. Yeah. Amazing. I didn't know that about you. It's so crazy. And then I was like, hmm, I really like the entrepreneur space. And I had connected with an event planner who had helped me in, when I was working for the financial company. And she was working on a Gary Vee event. And then she was like, hey, we worked together when you were at that other company. Do you think you could help me do sponsorships? And I was like, well, never really done it, but yeah, why not? And so she gave me like an Excel document and it had like 10 pages of sponsors. And she was like, just let me know when you have somebody like close to closing, like if you need help with that. Otherwise, just figure out the language that works. Here's some of the sponsors that are on board. Here's how many people have come to my events in the past. Here's the marketing materials. Like, all right. So you know, I had a couple weeks to get some people on board. And what I realized there too was it's really about relationships. The person that I got for the most money and the first yes I got, I had to figure out how to make it a win-win for that guy, right? Like what would make him give me money? Yeah. Couple minutes with Gary Vee, couple minutes with the other influencers that were part of the media junket, couple seconds on stage. Like what would he be able to leverage in his own business that would make that opportunity worth it for him. And once I worked that out, rinse, recycle, repeat. <laughs> yeah. Once I got one, it, first it was him. Then I got Spirit Airlines to give me free tickets. Then I was able to apply it to other people. Daryl and I are like eyeballing each other. Good stuff. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. But then I was like, wow, just working for a percentage isn't enough. Yeah. I was like, this is actually hard to do. And it's very time consuming. Yeah. And I'm creating wins for all of us. Exactly. However, what if I did it for myself? Yes. Yes. Okay. So after working for some influencers and getting them sponsorships for their events and booking them hard to reach people, very hard to reach people, but they had built audiences and they had earned that. I was like, God, I have a lot of really cool connections. I actually have some cool experience. What about me? 20 years behind the scenes. What about me? What about you? <laughs> it had never been about me. <laughs> and look at that. How do you, I, I have never folded a, a prep sheet before, but that picture, I know you just did some rebranding. Uh, that to me just screams everything that you just shared about yourself. Yes. Tenacity and grit and humor and ability to communicate and research and just love. Love it. Love. Stacked yeah. oh, love on it. itself. Yeah. Love it. Right? And then I really was like, what do I like doing? What do I not like doing? Yeah. What can I outsource so I can make some money? Right? Mm -hmm. And those things started to happen. With your podcast that you're doing with your dad or something before that? Or what, like, what was the first... Oh, man. Like, I'm going to go I'm gonna go for this and do it. I'm going to brand myself. Yeah, the first thing was really that Gary Vee event and okay. booking a couple sponsors. I made some money there. Okay. But were you on... You weren't on your own at that point. Yeah. Oh, you were? Yeah. It was Very right good. after okay. I left the financial firm. 
Okay, good. And so yeah, and I was doing those lunch and yeah, learns. Yeah. And then yeah. so you're watching these entrepreneurs and these influencers and you're going. Then I started working hmm. for some influencers and booking them yeah, guests okay. as a freelancer and then helping them get sponsorships and then helping them manage their Facebook groups and their Instagrams and doing like marketing work, yeah. kind of freelance. And then I was like, I just kept really shifting towards the work that I wanted to do. I had a best-selling author reach out to me, and she was like, hey, I see that you're connected with some people that I would love to endorse a book that I'm writing. And she had 40,000 connections on LinkedIn, and she had been on some professional radio stations, and she had a pretty good resume. I was like, I think I might be able to do that. How much should I charge for that? <laughs> yeah. And then we kind of went back and forth, and she kind of coached me into a number, and I was like, let me try that, because I wasn't yeah. sure I could guarantee results. But after I did get her five to seven testimonials for her book, and then she came back to me with another book. I can do this. Yep. I can and I, do and this. And I up the price. Yeah. Exactly. Of course. Wow. All right. So then the podcast. So you have a fourth kid by now. Are we up to the fourth kid now? Yes. <laughs> I did have the four. I was pregnant when I worked for one of the influencers. Yeah, this is really interesting, I feel like this too. is when this is about when we started connecting. Does that sound right? Could, uh, yes. I had just opened the studio, I feel like, yes. which has been five years. Oh, my gosh. Five years. Yeah. And my yeah. little one's almost four. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I remember that. And in the interview that I did with you, you were saying like part of the reason that you opened the studio was because your mind, body, and spirit connection mm-hmm. and how you were wanting to do some coaching clients and you were going through all that trauma work. Yeah. Yeah. This has been the wreath on my door, right? So for five years, getting to have these kinds of conversations across all verticals, all industries, uh, with C-level executives, entrepreneurs, I wanted to land on the map in the Metro Phoenix area specifically because I am a relationship person. And the real work that I want to do in this world is the trauma work and the shadow work and helping people really become aligned mind, body, and spirit-wise. And I'm finally at that place now. It's like, okay, the, the studio's going great. Daryl's been amazing to help me step away from all the to-do to do and today stuff and oversee it from a very different perspective. Uh, grateful for Daryl as our studio producer and our community manager. And then my office is across the parking lot um, and my wellness space is across the street and I get to work with people one-on-one and just help take them to the next level and clean up their shit, right? I mean, I'm not doing it for them. They have to do it, but I have the right set of questions and tools and meditations and that sort of thing to help them get where they need to go. So thank you for mentioning that because we did talk about that. And I know we had a we had a phone call too at one point we talked by phone for quite a while, and I feel like your mom had some. Your mom had just done something. Does that sound right to you, or somebody you were working with? I don't know what it is. We don't have to go there, but we, I just remember having a really nice, healthy conversation shortly after I got out of my own private hell. And you've been such a cheerleader and advocate for me in in stretching and being honest and candid and real. So thank you for that. Maybe we'll turn it into that instead of a who was who are we talking about? I don't remember. Well, I do remember in the episode because I just listened to it. Um, we were we were talking about suicide. Yeah. You know, my own dad's sister had attempted a couple of times. Since we are going yeah. into a holiday, I mean, families are messy. Yep. Right. Yeah. They are complicated. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I think that might have been the tie that I'm I'm recalling. They have actually patched things up. Oh, My dad so is to hear that. so much more forgiving than me. I, I, <laughs> let's, let's help the audience who hasn't gotten to know you yet. Let's talk about your podcast, yeah. how you came to land on that, because your dad is a huge part of this. Um, I'll, I know that when we did— yeah, we. I was a guest on your show. 
the conversation was between you and I. Then your dad, and I don't know if this is still the model. Yes. So you can, okay. Yes. yes. Then dad listens to it. Yes. And then you interview dad and he shares what his takeaways were. Exactly. And having never met your dad, even still today, I just remember, because my dad is so special and so important to me, I remember thinking, what a cool thing. So you and I have this conversation. I couldn't wait to hear what he had to say, especially because it was such a deep conversation around suicide and what we had just been through as a family. I said to Daryl earlier, like, I think I was still in trauma in the thick of it when we did it. So <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, gosh, what have I shared and said that, you know, maybe I wouldn't normally— but if you know me at all, you know that I'm pretty candid and raw. And your dad was so gracious and so kind and so uh, could see the light in me, even though it didn't feel very clear to myself at that point. So I'm very, forever grateful for you for the opportunity to, you know, let your dad listen to my story and, and uh, just shine some light back on me. Yeah, I was really impressed, too, with what he said. Deep. It was amazing. Like, yeah. I felt like he got you from the time you were a little girl until what you were going yep. through at that moment. Yeah. It was really amazing. He was saying that, you know, you've been through trauma, but you're able to still, like, move forward and work with it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. There was another thing in that episode that has stayed with me. You said 50% of people are going to love you. And 50% of people are either going to hate you or be, like, indifferent towards you. So you have to spend the time with the people who love you. Like, that is what you need to focus yeah. on. And that is honestly what brought me here today. I was oh. like, I feel like I love you. Like, I, we have that connection. We do have that connection. Yes. Where I was like, I truthfully, having worked behind the scenes for 20 years, I have such a hard time, like, worrying about judgment. And one thing that I loved and, like, admired about you is you're like, you know, I'm going to journal. I'm going to give you a piece of the trauma that I'm going through. And when I decide to shut what I want to share, that's what you get yeah. because this is my truth and this is what I'm going to share. And it's not even fair to Mike to, like, share, you know, right. what he's experienced this is what I'm giving you. You were like so confident about that. Well, it's nice that you think that <laughs> because I'm still writing and I'm still sharing and my life has changed. Mike is no longer part of our life, hasn't been for over a year and a half. And I'm doing just that. It's nice that all these years later or two years later, how, how long ago did we do that interview? That was, it aired in October of 2020. Oh, God. So Mike landed in the hospital in 2019, October. So it was a full year after. I think we were still together. Anyway, fascinating. So now I'm just recreating my life, right? I'm still me. And, I'm, and I have always been very forward and, and candid and open. And now, at, I'll soon to be 58, I'm like, is that still part of who I want to be? Do I still want to share at this level? And if so, what, what is the next evolution of me? And, and I don't know what that is. I'm, I'm kind of open right now. Well, I gave you the journal. So the evolution is going in there. <laughs> I know. So sweet. Rena walked in with this beautiful kitty journal for Garrett. And I love it. I'm, and I told you I needed a journal. And look, kind of a tie-dye look. Thank you. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So thank you. Yes. Um, I'm figuring it out as I go. And uh, thank you for just being a cheerleader for me. Uh, as I am for you. I know when I, when you moved, I'm like, what's this about moving? And I'm totally figuring it out. Yeah. I feel like my entire career has been a series of either figuring it out or taking risks and like— Clearly. Yeah. 
I mean, moving to LA, moving to Chicago, now moving out of Chicago into Houston. Oh my gosh. And that's for your your husband's job. My husband got a new job, but also to be perfectly honest, like Chicago during the pandemic, like became a place that we like no longer wanted to be. It Mm -hmm. became so divided. The crime was crazy. We outgrew it. I mean, we needed a change. Yeah, but you know what? Change with four kids and two of them were born in Chicago is a lot on everyone. Well, Chicago to Texas, Houston (gasps) specifically, is different. You spoke about being a Jewish girl in Kentucky. I don't know what the Jewish community or population is in Texas or if you you even care if that's even important to you anymore. It's actually so diverse. And I actually love that. Like there's converts, there's people from, you know, different parts of the world. You know, there's people speaking all different languages. I actually, I'm, I'm really digging it. Good. But during the pandemic, yeah, like we kind of hibernated and it's taking a little bit to like even figure out where we want to be religiously, which. That's that's episode two for you and I. (laughs) Exactly. But I want to go back to my dad just a little bit about how that evolved. Like I said, my dad has always been my biggest cheerleader, like my number one supporter. I've always been a daddy's girl. And the advice that he gives me, I felt like could help other people. Oh my gosh, after almost 300 episodes in, every reaction now I feel like is a gift to not only my listeners, but to the podcast guests. Oh, I cannot sure. tell you, like, my dad speaks from the heart. He's totally real. He's such a good summarizer. And to kind of bridge intergenerationally, like, our views has been so interesting. He's even had, like, perspective shifts he himself. He himself. Of course he has. Uh, may I ask how old he is? He's 66. Okay. Had me young. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so not even not even 10 years older than me. Is he chill? He seems very just chill. He's chilled out over the years, okay. but in his <laughs> 20s, he was actually very high strung. And we had some years, too, where I didn't share with him like I share now. I mean, what we can talk about now has definitely changed. What's also interesting is I've had other daddy's girls now, like, want to do episodes with me about their love of their father. And then I've had people reach out that have had absent fathers. I've had people that, you know, have lost their fathers. I've had, oh, just such a wide range of men's issues. Like, do men fear women? I had a sperm donor dad. I've And, and the show itself is such a wide canvas, right? So yes. it, for our listeners, again, who are just getting to know you through this opportunity, it's, is, it, is it Better Call Daddy? No. Better, yeah. yeah. Better Call yeah. Daddy. When you went to him with the idea, what did he say? Was he like on board right away or was he like, what? Yeah, he was totally on board. My dad's like such a character. He, he looks like... I mean, he's from New York. He looks like a Jewish Tony Soprano. Yes. Like, he wears a fedora. <laughs> I, I know. I remember looking specifically, like, what does this man look like? <laughs> if I'm going to be sitting and listening to feedback from somebody I don't even know, <laughs> I certainly want to see what this man looks like. And he's just, you can, everything that you've described about him is in his physical presence, too. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. So, you know, even when I was working for that one influencer, he was actually out in LA, like, doing business, and he extended his trip because I was seven months pregnant and, like, moving stools around and setting out snacks and, like, you know, making sure all the sponsors were happy and helping produce this 350-person event. And he was, like, worried about me having another miscarriage. Like, my dad is my roadie. I mean, my—yeah, he is my biggest supporter. And so— 
I just knew he wouldn't back out. Yeah. You know, as long as long as I want to keep doing it, he'll keep doing it. And what's really beautiful that I wouldn't have expected is how much he's come out of his shell and how much we've learned about each other and from our audience. Yeah, like you said, a perspective shift for him probably multiple times and and in multiple ways. And also highlighting the gift that he gives us as guests. I mean, how cool is that to to look forward to feedback? No matter what it is, I just trusted you. So uh, uh, ultimately, I could trust him. Uh, You've moved recently, and we just touched on that. You were five hours drive time from your dad, and now you're quite a bit further. How how is that? And uh, how long have you been in uh, Houston? We've been in Houston about four, almost five months. Okay. I thought it was a little so bit longer. So it was like the end of the school yeah. year. Not very long. Yeah. And oh my gosh. You know, we had been in Chicago for a decade. We owned a grown-up house and, you know, moving to another location. And you only my husband only saw the place once. We actually picked a place that wasn't that great. And that's the whole reason we wanted to rent because it's like you don't know where your friend, sure. where your kids' friends are going to be, what community you want to be in, what the school's going to be like. So you just pick a place and, until you figure that out. But we picked a place that was totally infested with drain flies. Mm-hmm. So we just moved again. I remember you and I briefly talked about <sighs> that in a private message. Yeah, you're like, oh my oh god, boy. we just, so moved, just moved again two and weeks ago. Better? Oh, two weeks ago. Yes, we like <laughs> upgraded. <amazing. laughs> Yeah, and it feels good. Oh, yeah, but now we're living out of boxes. Because the first time you, like, unpack and you're excited, and then you're like, oh, my God, you got to move again. So, I mean, you know, like, uprooting is— Oh, yeah, I did it a year and a half ago. It's brutal. After being in a home for 25 years, downsized, and really had to— uh, you know, just figure things out and starting over. It's it's a lot. And only had one kid left at home. My other two are in their late 20s. So yeah, for you to do it with four and across country. I, mine was a mile and a half away. So uh, completely different experiences. Well, we moved a mile and a half from the oh, first this place. Is, oh, gosh. But, you know, the first time, like, the company relocated us and they, like, helped pack everything. <laughs> the second time, we just hired people to, like, move the heavy items. Yeah, and now they're sitting there. <laughs> everything. Yeah. And you're here. You're here in Arizona. And I was just in Florida last week. I'm going to Florida for Christmas to New Year's. And that's where me and my dad are going to meet up because my grandmother is there. She's 94. And, oh, wow. I was just there visiting my 94-year-old grandmother, who has also been on my podcast, by the way. So good. You've had such an eclectic group of guests. I mean, some famous, some none, none of us have heard of some really niched and specific and very expert in whatever it is that they're working. I mean, it's fascinating. And then me. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I remember being so flattered when you asked. Uh, who do you look forward to interviewing? Is there somebody on your bucket list that you you like, I really, I, I will have arrived when dad and I get to interview so-and-so? Okay, so it was Jerry Springer, but now I've interviewed him. You did? Yes. Episode 210. Recently. Yes. And what was amazing about that How is... How fun is that? Not only is it, like, honestly validating, but... I wanted to know, I mean, what would my life have been like had I stayed there? Like my old intern stayed on that show for 20 yeah. years, right? I always, in the back of my mind, and and so many people do this, like what would it have been like if I stayed at one of those chapters of my life? And also, how much did Jerry really know as the host of the show what went on behind the scenes? I was dying to know that. Yeah. And it, was that uh, mystery solved? He was able to shed some light on that? 
Yeah, the guy oh, totally knew. I have to knew. go back and listen to that <laughs> he episode. totally knew yeah. all that we went through. And what else was interesting, too, is that, you know, I have interviewed some celebrities now, and yeah. I've put them up on these pedestals for so long. I mean, Jerry was like, I knew you when you were a little girl. Like, yes. I was 21 yes. when I was producing and that did he, show. did he know you then? He I mean, remembered like he, me, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. So that was really, that was really sweet. So Jerry Springer would have been your... You know, like this is my my um, epic opportunity. Is there somebody else? And I I'm going to apologize. I'm I just looked at my phone. I'm picking up my my nephew no from problem. the airport later today. But I'm a little concerned because he's flying in from Florida. Maybe a little before then, if we're on time. Can't wait to see you. I, I'm I'm on the plane. I was so worried. <laughs> When I saw his name, I looked at the time to make sure we're still on within our good time frame. And then I saw Ethan. I'm like, why is he texting me? Because he's not landing here. Did I get the time screwed up? So we're good. Okay, good. Plenty of time. <laughs> Holy cow. I was like, what the heck? Okay. So not Jerry Springer because he's already been there, done that. Who else is on your bucket list? So Katie Couric. Oh, I wow. love just who she has access to. She's a daddy's girl. She always is interviewing people like so cutting edge and like right after things happen and yeah. she asks the best questions. I love her. So have you been putting the seeds out yet or is that? She follows me on Instagram now. What? The thing is, is when she got her own show, she reached out to Jerry Springer. I, I mean, I've read so much about her yeah. and I've listened to her podcast and I've read her book and I went to her performance when she came to Chicago. So I took some behind the scenes yes. of that and like, you know, tagged her on Instagram. So, and I support her content. Like whenever yeah. she does lives, I'm like- She's been a role model notes. in a sense She for is, you. Yeah. yes. I mean, she's an amazing journalist. I, I would love to interview her. Well, okay. Take this little clip that we just <laughs> talked about. Make sure that you push that one out. I love that. I, I'm telling you, you, you're the you're the pro that knows how to do all that. I'm not. Uh, I love that. So fantastic. And you already spoke to the crazy, fascinating interview when you were with Jerry Springer. How about with Better Call Daddy? Has there been an interview for you? I mean, you've done so many, but does one kind of rise to the top as the most fascinating or the most, uh, yeah, most fascinating? What out of the ones you've done with your dad, which would you say would be? Like, wow, I had no idea. There's been a couple, but I, I was producing this healthcare podcast. So by producing my own show, it actually led to me now producing other people's shows. Right. I'm doing a couple shows on healthcare now, which is amazing. And so I was producing this live in-person show. It was a three-camera shoot, and I was supervising the editor and the web team and just it all coming together. And so some of the best guests from that podcast I yes. brought on to my own show because you, you make sense. mental note of yep. like... We do the same here. Yeah. Who are the good ones yeah. to keep in touch with? Yeah, there was this woman who has been an employee for 30 years, but an entrepreneur on the side and a single mom. And she got like really personal with me about her personal journey. I got to know her well and liked her. She had to make some hard decisions around abortion and she was willing to talk about wow. it. You know, my dad's of that generation that feels differently about that. Yep. But after him meeting her in person and after really understanding her circumstance, her circumstances, that is actually a perspective change oh, that he sure. had. Wow. Yeah. He was like, wow. You know, and so that was fascinating. Yeah. And I really appreciated that conversation and just hearing how 
empathetic he was towards her as a person. Did he speak to the perspective change when he was doing his summary and his review? Yes. Oh gosh, I now I have a little list going of the different shows that I need Connie to listen Polk. to. Connie Polk. That was that Connie was Polk. something else. Where do we find Better Call Daddy? Uh, you can go to bettercalldaddy.com yeah. or any of your preferred podcatchers. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And you're still, do you spend a lot of time on LinkedIn? Still, I know you and I tend to find each other more on Facebook and Instagram, but are you still on LinkedIn? Yep, still on LinkedIn. And I have to say, the podcasting community on Twitter, I know Twitter's like having some craziness right now. I've never gotten a Twitter. I don't even, I don't even get it. Don't understand it. But anyway, so podcast community is there. I've more active there oh. over the last six months, and I have really found some interesting stories and gotten kind of a new listenership there. Yeah. And just like I engage my audience on Facebook or through my private Facebook yeah. community of friends, I mean, I, I've started doing it there, and I've, I've really got a new audience. So I would encourage you to kind of check it out. Yes. Search hashtag podcast on Twitter and see see what's going on there. I really don't need one more social media platform. I, can't, I know. I have a hard enough time handling the ones I'm on. Tell us what makes a great guest. I mean, clearly, you know so many different facets of the entertainment industry and now specifically entrepreneurism and the business aspect of production and podcasting and film, all that. What makes a, a good guest, and is it different podcasting or like, you know, pitching it to a, a syndicate? Yeah. So, you know, because you are a good guest, a good guest is really one that is willing to be spontaneous, is willing to be on the fly, that's willing to be unedited, mm-hmm. that's willing to actually answer the questions to the best of their ability. Mm-hmm. Right? Without like, having a soundbite rehearsed is, is what I always say. Yeah. People are like, well, how do I prepare? You, you don't. You just, you know, send us your topics and questions and give some thought as to who you want to show up as and, and how we can help highlight and spotlight the great things that you're doing and the challenges you've had. And then we're just going to have you tell a story. I suppose a good guest also depends on how good the host is too. Oh, definitely. There yeah. has to be chemistry there. And mm-hmm. actually, if somebody has never been on a podcast before, I have learned it's, you've got to have a conversation with them beforehand. If somebody has been on a lot of shows and you're able to kind of do your research, Mm -hmm. then I think it's okay to not speak with them beforehand. If there's enough to go on on the internet, you can do enough internet stalking. I'm getting ready to interview somebody now. This actually came from a client. This is so interesting. So I'm working for a guy doing some freelance work right now. He's in the healthcare space. And he sent me an article. He's a he's an employee benefits broker, but he's an EMT. He's a dad of seven. And he sent me an article about a girl who should have had a mammogram, but she was young and she discovered a spot at like 28. Oh, gosh. And then she waited a year because it wasn't covered. And she just discovered she has stage four cancer. And so the story went viral and she was just on Dr. Phil. But I really wanted to cover it from kind of an awareness standpoint. First of all, my mom had breast cancer. My grandmother's gone through breast cancer. And I have to admit, like, I am nursing a three-year-old and I haven't had a mammogram yet. And I was like, wow, your story, like, really makes me want to get one. Not only did I want to interview her, but I wanted to kind of even use it for my client. Like, how cool is that, that he's not just trying to sell insurance? He's like, hey, yep. she could have known about these this resources. Yeah. 
Wow. Right? And so, you know, if healthcare providers and healthcare workers could, you know, find stories like that, that really would be like a differentiator in their business and in their marketing and and how much you trusted them. Yeah. I loved that my client sent me that. And then I was like, I'm going to reach out to her. I'm going to interview her and then maybe you could interview her or maybe we could do a blog piece together because, you know, you knew about resources that I didn't know about. People care about other people's stories. That's that's everything. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if you saw it and I'll show it on the way out, but on the way out the the studio door into the co-work space, it says, your story matters. Share it here. That's our little slogan, you know, corporate-wide. Because people learn from other stories, right? I mean, look at the, even just the examples you gave about your dad and the shifts he's made, the feedback he's given to us when we shared our story. It's just, it's the longest uh, running way of communicating um, on, you know, on the planet for humans. It's just how we've, whether we're writing on, you know, rocks and <laughs> drawing pictures about our stories or we're articulating it in whatever language we're using, stories are, are everything. Uh, we are just about to wind down on our time, which I'm amazed that it's almost been an hour. Does that sound about right? Yeah, holy cow. You've already mentioned where we can find your podcast. Tell us a little bit more as we wrap up about your media company. Are you looking for more business? And is healthcare kind of the area that you're you're like, this is really where where I feel I can be best of support to, um, you know, people in the healthcare industry? Tell us from a business perspective, who else we can get you in front of uh, for the podcast and or for your media company? Thank you so much. Yeah. So right now I am working with a healthcare company where they have, you know, a couple in-house content writers and they actually sell all their podcasts before they Mm. create one. And so they create like four or five questions for their guest. I help them come up with the intro outro. I sit on the call with them and their client in case they need to like restate anything or how they can maybe say it better. I supervise the edit and I hand it back to them in a pretty little bow. I love that relationship. And now that's led to me working on two podcasts within the same organization. I think truthfully, like if you're in business today, There's so many like frequently asked questions that you could even create like an internal podcast for your own organization. I just feel like people are listening to podcasts. People are more likely to trust you through video. I love creating content. I love creating video. And yeah, I mean. And what a different format than what you're doing with your dad, which is more free, free flowing, long form, like what we're doing here. But, and you're also very skilled an expert at this other piece where it's a little bit more scripted, a little bit more guided, mm-hmm. and and yet you show up behind the scenes to make sure that that happens and comes together beautifully. Fascinating. Yeah. You know, I have found that, you know, things that I've learned from doing it myself, I'm able to then apply to oh, sure. my corporate clients. And that's another reason why I'm like, I got to keep this up because as long as I'm helping other people produce content— yeah. I'm I'm still refining and getting better at my craft alongside them. Yeah. So an example of that, and we can totally wrap with that, is that this podcast that I was producing, it was so scripted. I mean, they jumped right into the thought leadership. And I'm like, you know, this person has had an illustrious career. Like they went from Wall Street to healthcare. He's written a book on that. Yeah. Let's linger there for a bit. Can you give me a couple sentences yeah. about the book? Yeah. Or a couple sentences about how Wall Street is different than healthcare and what he learned and how he's applied it? Good. 
And then it was so funny. So I've done that. The pa- It takes a little while for your client to warm up to you. Trust me. It's taken a year before I started, like, yeah. <laughs> really pushing that. But the past couple of episodes, the content editor was like, wow, I really love the host in that episode. <laughs> I love the energy that you're bringing. And I'm like, oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. It's just a little bit of probing and guiding and nudging to make sure that the, they're going flavor. a little— flavor. Yeah. I always say it's below—it's <laughs> the below-the-belt conversations. It's the yes. conversations that, that, that are happening in coffee shops or at restaurants or at the water cooler when we had water coolers and we yes. were actually hovering around them. And bring that on air. And and so, because then people get to know you and your organization better. And of course, the history. So amazing that you got to be here today. Thank you for, and you traveled from Queen Creek, which isn't that far, but it's, it's far enough, especially when you have your family with you and plenty of things happening before the holiday. I really feel blessed and honored that you would take time. And I love you too. Yeah. Thank you so much. Really pleased. You've been listening to Deep Impact Leadership with Karen Nowicki right here at Phoenix Business Radio. We help people share their stories and connect you with the right people. And today it was Rena Friedman Watts with Better Call Daddy and the Watts Media. Mega Watts, Mega Watts Productions. Productions. Oh my gosh, what a perfect name. Mega Watts Production. And uh, we can find you on all the social media platforms, including Twitter. And for your podcast, Better Call Daddy, is it .com? Yes, bettercalldaddy.com. Wonderful. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Have a great holiday. 